All right, we're live. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Casting of a Podcast. I'm your host, Mikhail Canast. Uh, God, I can't even say my own name. <laughs> <laughs> I'm your host, Mikhail Casanova. Got the one and only Hotep Jesus on the show, man. Go ahead. Introduce oh, me. yeah. We are live. It's your man, Hotep Jesus. I'm feeling good. I hope everybody out there is feeling good as well. Mikel Casanova, thank you for having me. I truly appreciate this opportunity to provide my voice to another audience. What's going on with you? Hey man, we, we chilling out here in Honolulu, man. Got a Hawaii. Yeah. <laughs> so so if I um if I book a flight out there, I could crash with you. Man, I got a spot for you up in Waikiki. We got we my wife and I got another place. So if you ever want to come through, I told I told Amazing Lucas this too, man. We got a condo that we actually own in Waikiki. So Oh yeah? <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, I will be calling you. <laughs> Hell yeah. What's going on, man? We we chilling, man. It's it's an honor to have you on the show, man. I I, I definitely appreciate you uh coming on, man. This is this is huge for me, man. Is it? No, nah, I'm I'm no I'm nobody, man. I'm just a regular dude out here trying to get it, man. <laughs> Well, uh, let's, let's go ahead and get some introductions in, man. Go ahead and tell people um, about yourself, where they can find you, and definitely tell them about your book, man. Your your book is your book is fire. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that, man. So you copped <laughs> it. You, you copped yeah. it. What do you think about it? Man, I loved it. Loved yeah. It. What's What's your favorite part? Uh, definitely on how to uh, grow your audience, man. I've noticed how my channel has been just like not only my my YouTube channel, but also. Uh, my podcast and my website have just been growing exponentially. Oh yeah, yes sir. Nice, nice. That's awesome, man. I'm glad to hear it. Um, so yeah, let me give a quick introduction. Um, the government name is Brian Sharp. That's where I publish my books under. I go by the name of Hotep Jesus, and I've been in the marketing world for over a decade now. Uh, my big claim to fame was working with Curtis Fifty Cent Jackson and launching. Uh, one of his consumer packaged goods. Um, after that, I went on and I worked with uh, Olympic gold medalist Carmelo Anthony, and I launched um, uh, another consumer packaged good with him as well. And then from there, I kind of ventured into the world of uh, digital and mm -hmm. uh, mobile app marketing. So I've spent about the past, uh, I want to say, three years doing mobile app marketing, maybe longer. And um, I have my own app right now with the partner, Simone. It's called Jiffetize. So if anybody has it uh, has an iPhone, you download Jiffetize. Basically, what it allows you to do is steal GIFs from Twitter. You know how like you see a GIF on Twitter and you want it, and you're like, oh snap! Like, uh, what'd you search? You know, a lot of times you'd be like, what'd you search to find this? Well, <laughs> you don't have to ask anymore with Jiffetize. With only one tap of the button, you can steal that GIF you always wanted. <laughs> <laughs> man, that's actually yeah. really brilliant, though, man. Because that's that's something uh, the GIF game has been getting insane lately, and. You need stuff like that. Oh yeah, I mean the meme wars is is uh, is um, what, what's the what, what's the I, I want to describe this perfectly. So the meme war was vital in getting Donald Trump supporters all on the same page, um, exposing um, some of the uh, far left conspiracies mm -hmm. and um, just spreading information in a very unique way. And I don't think the powers that be were expecting or ready for the meme war. So memes are definitely a future. Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely. 
And where can they find you? Uh, what's what's your, your social media? I know I'd link them all in the description down below, but okay. where can people find you? Um, on Twitter, I'm at Bob High, V-I-B-E-H-I. Um, and then I have a backup account just in case. <laughs> <laughs> that one's uh, at Hotep Jesus. And Instagram just deleted my account. So I what? started to start. Yeah. <laughs> I came out as Trump and then all my followers just pretty much, I guess, spam reported to me. So um, they, they sacked that account. So now I'm Hotep Jesus, the number two on Instagram. All right. All right. Cool. That's what's up, man. Um, so I, I'm gonna go ahead. We're gonna go ahead and get into this uh, this interview, man. Again, thank you for coming on. I want to yeah. ask you, um, you know, what made you decide to uh, refuse the Democratic mindset, and do you think the Republican mindset is better? So I never really understood. For you know, most of my life, I never understood the difference between Democrats and Republicans. The mm-hmm. way it was taught to me as a youth was basically Republicans are the racist, you know? So Mm -hmm. I always had that mindset when I heard Republican, I just thought racist, but I didn't have any context or evidence to back up that claim. So it was always a question mark in my mind. Um, And then one time I was working with Harlan Hill on a mobile app project, Mm -hmm. Uh, Harlan Hill, you may have seen him on Fox news, but he was actually the product guy. And I was uh, working on growth for that company for a short period of time. And I asked him, you know, what's the difference between a liberal and a Democrat? Because it seems like liberals aren't liberal and conservatives don't conserve, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And um, at the time he, he, he drew a blank. This is a guy in politics. He drew a blank. He didn't know how to explain it to me. So I I decided to dive head in first and uh, see what this stuff was for myself and then draw my own conclusions and kind of, you know, figure out what these things mean on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, of course, Trump was the big spark for me getting into politics, um, because I definitely didn't want to see Hillary Clinton win. Um, so I was definitely, um, on the MAGA train, um, you know, riding up until election time. Um, you know, before that I was, I would say I was registered Democrat, um, but, you know, pretty much not by choice. Yeah. Um, and I was, uh, mostly against voting for a while. Um, but you know, just recently I've decided that, you know, my dad always said I belong to politics, you know, the way I speak and, you know, my passion behind my words, he's like, you should be a politician. He's always said that. Um, and so, you know, with the whole, um, new wave going on, I'm like, well, the right wing is definitely my platform. So, you know, it's red here on out. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we got kind of a similar background. I actually went to college for, uh, for marketing, uh, out here in Hawaii and um, I was the same way when I was growing up. I would always ask uh, my mom and my dad, like, what what is the difference between Democrats and Republicans? And I was always told the same thing, man. The Democrats, you know, they're for the, well, they were told, I was told that they were for the people and that Republicans were, uh, they were the racists. You, you need to hate them, never go for them. And it's just, you know, as I am now, I'm 29 going on 30. You know, the last the last year, this this election cycle really opened my eyes to a lot of things. Uh, you know, it's, it's it's been, you know, quite the ride. I got to attribute a lot of my awakening to like Amazing Lucas, Candace Owens, uh, Brandon Tatum. Uh, their content really helped me wake up. You know, and then I, I saw you, you know, you, you took the nation by storm, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I, you know, you know, being in marketing, I think the one thing that people miss out on marketing is the the word relevance, and um, the other the, the other word is timing. So I've always been one that's really good with timing. I think some of it is intuitive, but just having good timing and knowing when to do something is um, vital. Uh, I remember um, uh, a member of Hotep Nation or a former member of Hotep Nation was talking about aligning themselves with the right wing. And at that time, I was like, now isn't the time, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, but you see that when we did make our entrance into the right wing, it was like at the perfect time, you know, so it's not always about the decisions you make, but when you make those decisions. Yeah, that's very true, man. That's very, very true. Um, And so would you say like, uh, you know, that was, uh, would you say like this, this past election and and meeting up with uh, the the guy you were speaking about earlier, would that be like one of the things that motivated you uh, into being active and speaking out? No, not only on social issues, but on political issues and the normal narrative. I'm sorry nah. about the noise in the background. We got What's the, the Hell's Angels going by. <laughs> oh, okay. Hell's Angels. All right. <laughs> nah, you know, that, that had nothing to do with it. I've always been an outspoken individual. It's um, At times, it's been my downfall um, being too outspoken. Mm-hmm. Um, social media has been great for being an outlet for me and therapeutic to get some things off of my chest when my surroundings don't allow me to, or the ears that I'm around are just closed to what I have to say. Um, but I've always been an outspoken individual. I've always wanted to speak my mind and, uh, I've been speaking about social issues. You know, you can go search my Twitter going back to 2011. Um, you know, you can go see some of the stuff I've tweeted. Um, but I've, I've been on this thing, you know, a, a much of my adult life, I'd say. Right, that's what's up, man. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on? Uh, I know Donald Trump has basically popularized this, but uh, what are your thoughts on fake news and what is the the purpose of the fake news? Yeah. So, uh, there's this book that I suggest everyone get, and you should probably Amazon affiliate link it into the description below. Okay. But it's called. Um, Uh, how to watch uh, TV news. And in that book, the author explains that the media can create a crime wave or they can kill one simply by reporting or not reporting on all of the instances that happen. In fact, there are so many dog bites around the country daily that if the media reported on everyone, it could seem like there's some kind of dog zombie apocalypse. This is how much power the media has. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the media's um, main issue or motive is to uh, sell fear. Uh, fear leads to uh, clicks. So that's what they're in the business of driving fear um, and fear. Also, if you look at marketing or you look into advertising, they use fear to um, push you to sell. So so fear is the main thing that that's happening here. Um I've been talking about this, like, again, you know, most of my adult life that the media is fake. Don't believe the media. If you go look at my 2011 tweets, I've been talking about the corruption of the mainstream media. I've spoken about Operation Mockingbird, which has CIA operatives planted within the press. So this stuff, you know, for me isn't new. But, um, I, you know, one thing I, I love about Trump is that he says fake news, fake news, like more people have to be aware of how much fake news that we're getting. Mm-hmm. 
and be privy to that stuff to to arm yourself emotionally and socially uh, so that we can galvanize some sort of strategy moving forward that's not so dependent upon you know what the mainstream media says so Mm -hmm. you know when the mainstream media says oh this week we're mad about you know kids in cages on the border you know next week it'll be something else and a week after that it's something else and a week after that something else you know what i mean they always have something to complain about but that the issue there is and i've said this with black people as well the issue there is the media can end up controlling you so you know for black people i felt like you know when there's a shooting in oklahoma and then there's a shooting in cleveland and detroit and then new york you know, it seems like they can just control us and have us bouncing around the nation, marching from city to city and never actually following the roadmap for our own plan. And that's what the media can do. It can keep you so distracted that you deviate from your main from your main plan. And, um, you know, that's that's another thing the media loves to do. They just love to distract. You know, it's a big, huge distraction from what's really going on in the world and what really matters. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. <clears throat> like um, it, I'm amazed because I, I had to be careful whenever I go on my Facebook, you know, and I, I've gotten to a point where I'm I'm actually getting away from Facebook because I see so much liberal like indoctrination and it, it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing. Like a lot of people I know, they're constantly talking about how, uh, you know, we need no, no, no borders, no nation and how Hawaii needs to uh, annex itself from, America. And the funny thing, I I did a video on this about how there's so much hypocrisy, especially out here in Hawaii, how they they're for open borders and everyone should be able to come and go as they please. But yet out here in Hawaii, there's such racism out here. They hate white people. They hate black people. They hate basically anyone who comes here that's not from here. And so it's like, how can you be for open borders and for everyone being, quote unquote, legal? Yet you want to be, you know, nationalistic at the same time. You you can't have both. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I've got called out like major. I got so much hate. People saying, "Man, I'm blocking you. I'm not going to be friends with you anymore." And I'm like, "Well, <laughs> I, I, I'm just asking the question." <laughs> right, right, right. That's the hypocrisy of the left. You yeah, know, they 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 forget their own beliefs and their own ideologies and allow them to be temporarily replaced yeah. by those pushed by the mainstream media. And that's how you know they're brainwashed because they drop their own morals for whatever the TV says. <laughs> yeah. And it's amazing, man. Like, uh, it's going to lead to the next question of like, how do you feel? Uh, well, I'm actually modifying the question, but how do you feel like the mainstream media is indoctrinating people? I think it's because people just tune into CNN and whatever Don Lemon says, they take it for for just truth. You know, they use emotions. That's why you see the feminist movement and the LGBT movement gain, gaining so much strength, because they use emotions to manipulate people. They never really um, give you too much facts or real hardcore evidence. You know, they'll just, uh, you know, throw some kids up on the screen or some people getting hurt. And then your empathy um, opens a portal to your subconscious mind. And then mm-hmm. once they have access to that, then it runs amok and, and does whatever it wants. But that's the key. They just have to, you know, split open your emotion. I always say to people, I say, you know, um, in order to get to people, you first have to uh, open a door to their heart. And it could either be 
um, through hate or love. Mm-hmm. You know, so I always tell people I can get anyone to love me if I can make them hate me first. Um, so, you know, I can piss somebody off. Once I piss them off, the door to their heart is open. Now I have access to them and now I can turn them any way I want. But the yeah. hardest part is getting people to open up their heart. A lot of times people just have that representative that you meet, which is the fake persona um, who is usually on best behavior. You know, as long as they have that front up, it's a little bit hard to get to them. But once you can get them to open up that emotional portal and, you know, once you're inside, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, that's true. <clears throat> that's very true. Um, and do, do you feel like uh, what, what do you feel the left have become so unhinged and just basically intolerant of anything like it, it's it's insane how they're so quick to just call somebody a Nazi that supports Trump or had, or even someone who is, you know, probably not on either side of the political spectrum and just, you know, doesn't see logic in the liberal mindset. They're considered a Nazi. And then you got groups like Antifa going out. It's amazing how, aside from Fox News, other news stations aren't trying to cover Antifa or the liberal insanity. What are your thoughts? Well, of course, cognitive dis- cognitive dissonance comes into play. But I think the, the deeper thing here is, for example, with you and I, we were taught that Republicans were racist um, f- from childhood. So what you've learned in childhood is very hard to erase as an adult. Um, in fact, when there's a term for when the brain is met with um evidence that contradicts what they currently believe. I forget what Mm -hmm. that term is, but there's something that happens within the brain where it almost wants to shut out the new information. So the problem is these people have a set of beliefs and when you have your beliefs um, and that's why, you know, it's a hotel proverb, you know, uh, investigate everything. I mean, uh, believe nothing, question everything. You know, you want to have no beliefs. That's the only way you can grow. But the problem is the left has these beliefs that they're just not willing to let go or allow others to challenge. You know, I have my set of beliefs, but I'm the door is open for someone to challenge them because I want to be able to mold and modify and grow uh, as I see fit. But, you know, that's the main problem. These people have been told for so long that Republican equals racist. You know, had I seen you know, my former self and and I met up with, you know, 18 year old me and I said I was Republican, I'd probably be like, damn, what happened to me? Yeah. You know, know, I'd probably be like, damn, I sold out. (laughs) I grew up (laughs) and I sold out. You know, I just wouldn't be able to um, understand that. But that's what happens when you don't have all the facts, you know, and and, and the left just doesn't have the facts. If they have the facts and, and allow their minds to try and understand them then i think their view would change on a lot of things but the left doesn't like facts they just like emotions <laughs> that's all they go for what, what's uh what's the thing uh ben ben shapiro says all the time uh facts don't care about your feelings it's so true it's so true it is true <laughs> it is true <laughs> so um you know it seems that uh liberals have pushed a very anti-America stance and you know this was especially I'm not sure how it was up in New York but I know out here in Hawaii it was especially seen during the the July 4th and so why do you think 
we're seeing a push to essentially destroy the country. You know, there's this push towards feminism, there's the gay agenda, there's globalism, and ultimately socialism and communism, which is it's amazing that people want that. Yeah. I think that the powers that be understand that there's control and chaos. You know, if you can create chaos amongst the people who can't think for themselves, you can always present yourself as a solution. Yeah. Um, also, chaos is profitable. Um, anytime there's a, um, any, t- any, any kind of uncertainty, you can present multiple solutions to said problem. Um, but again, I think it's profitable for the media to have chaos. And I think that a lot of the chaos is created for election purposes. Mm-hmm. It seems like it seems like a lot of stuff uh, died down, like right after a major election. You know, the, the, the news goes on a different news cycle. Um, but if you looked at um, leading up to Hillary Clinton against Trump, it was just like we were just inundated with all these stories of black people dying. And I'm like, ah, this is what they're talking about in that book where they just create this, you know, crime spree, so to speak. Um, But the elections is is a strong reason why, you know, so they can say, hey, look at what's happening. Vote for X, (laughs) (laughs) you know, to get their people uh, in place. And um, I think that in the climate that we're in, that's probably the biggest reason why outside of the ones that are hidden. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> what's that one globe globalist? You're not supposed to say his name. Cause he's Soros. <laughs> yeah. George Soros. <laughs> it, it, it's so funny when I've tried to uh, talk to some of my liberal friends and I'm like, especially ones that are super into like black lives matter. And I'm like, you guys know that he gave over 31 million to uh, Black Lives Matter to fund them. And he's like, they're like, no, he didn't. No, it's a grassroots thing. I'm like, no, it's not. I said, look at the top donator. If you go to his website, which is, I think, the Open Society Foundation, yeah. it's right there. <laughs> it's it's right there on the website. <laughs> and that was the first thing I did, you know, when Black Lives Matter came to power. You know, I just started clicking around and reading. A lot mm. of people don't. A lot of people don't do that. They don't read. Um, but the first thing I noticed on their website was the omission of fathers. You know, yeah. they said mothers, parents, children. I'm like, mothers, parents. Wait, isn't it mother, father? I'm like, okay, there's something going on here. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, you know, the Soros name popped up, so I did my investigation on Soros, and I found Open Society. And you look at Open Society; it says right there, "We donate to Black Lives Matter." And I'm like, ah, there's the connection. <laughs> You know, it's like uh, Colin Kaepernick, you know, when you go look at, um, you know, who he's donating to, go look at all the top organizations he's donated that $1 million to. Show us how many black folks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing when you when you take the time to to just look into things and not do the knee jerk reaction or get emotionally controlled. It's amazing what you see. And I, I tell a lot of my friends uh, that are super hardcore liberal, I'm like, stop with the emotion and just look at it. I'm like, don't just go. And I know, especially on Facebook, I know it happens on Twitter, but I see it the most on Facebook. People will just 
they'll see something. It could say anything like Trump this or or Republican this, and then they'll just repost it. It could be fake. It could be something from years ago that has no relevance today, and they just they they go with it. And I'm like, you guys don't understand that social media has now. It's a powerful tool. It can either help you get your message out, or it can be used to control you. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I just uh, I just edited my book. I saw you linked it in your bio um, that, you know, how to uh, make money online. Um, free free book I wrote and I just um, cleaned it up today a bit. But, yeah, you know, there's so much you can do on social media and people just get trapped into what the mainstream media offers or what, you know, the social media inf- influencers offer and don't really carve their own niche. Mm-hmm. And that's a huge problem. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So uh, when it comes to uh, immigration, you know, I I personally have no issue with people immigrating to America the legal way. And I support the building of a wall uh, to reinforce our borders, secure our nation. I mean, we we already have a wall, but it seems like the left wing liberals uh, want our borders just wide open. They hate the idea of a wall, even though we currently have a wall slash fence, you know, in place to tact as a border. What are your thoughts on illegal immigration issues and the general hatred of having a secured nation? Because it seems like this is something that really went into effect under the eight years of Obama. Build the wall, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Build the wall. If you, if you, you know, whatever height you have it at now, double it <laughs> and, <laughs> and extend it underground because they're going to try and build tunnels. Um, but, yeah, man, we got to get that wall up. It, it's funny to hear people complain about Trump's policies on immigration when really he's just inform- enforcing what was created under the Obama administration. You know, if you take Trump's uh, speeches or his views on immigration, you know, you can superimpose them over Obama and they'd be almost identical. You know, I think that people are afraid to admit that. But um, yeah. if you look at every other nation, every other nation is is hard on immigration, uh, except for the European Union, as we're saying. Um, and it seems like there's uh, some sort of conspiracy to uh, destabilize these nations, um, you know, the Western world. Um which I'm going to have to do some more research on. Um, But I'm against it. I think it's dangerous to let in the MS-13 types. I think it's crazy that you have people asking to abolish ICE when ICE is uh, nabbing and arresting and detaining uh, sexual traffickers. Um, It's a huge problem. Jada Pinkett was was talking about this, you know, the, the human trafficking issue. A lot of those are black babies black women, black children. Um, And I think that when we see that people are looking to abolish ICE, you know, I kind of want to say that they're being controlled by the sex traffickers. Also, uh, you know, when you look up, uh, I believe it's the DEA working with uh, El Chapo to allow uh, a certain amount of drugs into the U.S. as long as it landed in Chicago, there's a cooperation between the alphabet agencies of the United States and the drug cartels of the South of the border. And uh, when we see things like abolish ice, 
you know, I have no choice but to think that these same entities that want to allow drugs into the United States uh, have their hand in these political groups and controlling these political groups that want to abolish ICE. And, and, and that's what I see um, as the hidden hand behind this, um, you know, abolish ICE thing. Yeah. I know, especially out here in Hawaii, we have uh, significant issues with uh, human trafficking. That's actually why, you know, it, 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 it didn't make the news, but that's one of the reasons why uh, Waikiki has been renovated so heavily over the last uh, five to seven years is because it was severe uh, human trafficking, prostitution. Uh, it, it was insane. You know, you'd have tourists come here, they get snatched up. You'd have, uh, you know, women snatched up left and right. And it, it was, it was so out of control and it never made the news. It, it, it never would. And yeah, you know, the immigration issues we have out here from people from other Polynesian islands, you know, people from other countries coming here on visas, then they don't, they don't leave. And then they're able to take people's social securities and, you know, and, and that's something nobody, it seems like the, the left don't want to talk about, you know, as a real issue. And uh, it got so bad out here. And, you know, I did a video on it as well, but there's, um, it, it was a couple months ago, I want to say two months ago, where we had a, uh, a Japanese tourist and his wife come out here and they were severely beaten by a, uh, <clears throat> I, I can't even say the, the type of person. A group of people, a demographic group of people that are known to cause a lot of trouble out here. They ain't black folks. So Y'all can chill. Don't don't come in. <laughs> but it's a certain uh, a group of people that are known to to cause a lot of trouble out here. And they beat up this Japanese guy so bad. They broke both his orbital eye sockets, broke his nose, broke his teeth, uh, messed up his clavicle. Uh, his eyes were swollen shut. They choked out his wife, uh, come to find out she was pregnant. Uh, and Japan, the prime minister of Japan, told Japanese people not to come here anymore. Now, I don't think people in Hawaii understand how Japan is probably the biggest financial you know, benefit to Hawaii. And the left still don't want, especially out here since this is a blue state, they still don't want to acknowledge that this is an issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I'm like, how many more people got to get hurt, snatched up for us, us to actually start talking about this? Hmm. It's uh, something I try to wrap my mind around every day. You know, it's the reason why I'm on Twitter and not other platforms, because on Twitter, you know, I'm able to speak to somebody who's in the middle or somebody who's on the left and open some sort of uh, dialogue up and yeah. uh, sway them to the side of good. Yeah. But um you know, I think that the best way to get through to people for me is humor first um, and then making these um, these unpredictable moves. So you know, I'm, I've always been an unpredictable type of person. I like to move sporadically. I like to move based upon my intuition. So, you know, uh, particular moves I might make will uh, cause people to question me and um as long as I can make moves that cause people to question me, I can open up dialogue. When you're making moves that are pretty much predictable, you know, people aren't going to ask too many questions. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's it's the unpredictableness of it all uh, that works for me. Yeah. 
That's true, man. And, you know, <clears throat> to, to add on to what you said, like, it, Twitter is definitely the best way to communicate with the world. Uh, Facebook, I feel, is an echo chamber for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Instagram is, has a way of reaching out to people, but not as personally as Twitter does. Like, Twitter is a very powerful tool. Uh, and I think a lot of people still haven't grasped that yet, <laughs> especially if you're like a content creator, you're an author, or you're, you know, anyone who's creative, Twitter is your best friend. Twitter is your best friend. That's why I wrote my book, <laughs> <laughs> which you can get at uh, booksbybrian.com, Brian with a Y. Um, but yeah, I, I looked at it like this. Um, all the other social networks, uh, the audience are mostly just really common people. Um, there's nothing special about them. And I felt like the people that were on Twitter were of higher IQ, mostly because you have to read, you know, <laughs> um, you know, Instagram people, they just go there. They just want to see pictures. They're not really big into reading. Uh, so I felt like, first of all, the Twitter crowd is of higher IQ. Um, also, in order to be on Twitter, you have to have a higher IQ just to draw an audience, just to create a cult like following, you know, just to get a following Instagram, you know, anybody can post pretty pictures and get a following, yeah. you know, you got, you know, any average bimbo with a nice ass can get a following on Instagram. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> 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 yeah, but, but Twitter is where your intellect or your sense of humor um, is what's going to draw people towards you. So I always looked at it as, by being on Twitter, I'm talking to the tastemakers and not the common people. Yeah. And the funny thing is the common people um, are, are uh, I don't want to say controlled, but they follow or they do what the tastemakers say. They're influenced by the, by the tastemakers. So if I influence the tastemakers, then I get the other people anyway. We call it the uh, 80-20 rule. You know, mm-hmm. if I can get to, you know, 20 percent of the population, which are the tech tastemakers, then I'm going to get to the 80 percent through them anyway. So that's why I choose Twitter as my platform. Yeah, that's definitely true, man. And <clears throat> I want to ask you, I know this is not a question I had wrote uh, earlier, but since you brought it up, what do you think about the whole concept of uh, IQ for people like high IQ, low IQ? I think it's very real. Like, I want to get your your, your take on it. Uh, it's two sides to that. Um, I think it, it serves a purpose. Um, I think it's it's very real in this assessment. Um, but the other side of this thing says that it, it only measures a certain type of intelligence. It doesn't measure uh, creative intelligence, which I feel is vital as well. Um, mm. Also, uh, the IQ test is pretty much based around your cognition within the society you live in. You know, um, and the language that that you use and the math, you know, that you use and and pattern recognition is huge in that as well. And it tests memory, which is well, it could as well. Um, But it's really based upon your association with the civilization. Um, And I think it's it's sometimes unfair in its assessment because you could be somebody living in a village somewhere in uh, Africa be a really intelligent individual um but not understand you know high level math simply because it wasn't taught to you or not understand um you know 
English, so you can't even take the test. You know, you speak a completely different language, so you can't even take the <laughs> test. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, you might not even understand <clears throat> the the concepts. You know, so when we talk about the concept of prison, you know, go on uh, many years back in um, antiquity, you know, at that time, there may not even be a concept of prison in some societies. They may uh, call it something completely different. You know, I always say if I made it my own uh, civilization, we wouldn't have prison. We'd have some sort of real rehabilitation center. We wouldn't have a term called prison or detention. Those things wouldn't exist because I feel like they exasperate the problem. They just create more mental illness. Yeah. So when you have these things that don't exist in other societies within the text of an IQ test, they might not even understand the con- these these concepts. You know, so I think it's a double edged sword. But um, either way, I think it's a, a good way of assessing intelligence in the Western civilization world. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, going, moving on to our next question, uh, you hear the term, you know, we're a nation of immigrants as a means to like virtue signal, among other things. You know, and I often hear the black community say this often as well. And honestly, I have to ask, man, like. Does the black community understand that the flooding in of immigrants actually hurts them? It seems like they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. Oh, man. It's, uh, so to my next question, uh, why do black people support the Democratic Party? Like the history has shown us that they enslaved them, among other things, uh, and Black community seems to hate, well, not all, but most hate the Republican Party. And they find it strange to, or most find it strange to find or meet a conservative Republican black black person. Why do you think that is, aside from what we're taught as youth? Uh, When you look at the so-called party switch, which I always say the parties didn't switch, the people switched. Mm -hmm. Um, it just basically came down to handouts. You know, the Democratic Party started giving out um, subsidization and uh, welfare and um, black people came for the free for the free chicken. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's it's as simple as that. <laughs> you know, if I was to throw a party, I always told people, I say, you know, you throw a party, you can you can have a cover charge. Right. And then not really offer too much. Uh, you get some people to come out depending on who's going to be there. But if I throw a free party with free food, oh, everybody, mama going to come out. Yeah. So Democrats are the free, uh, the free picnic. <laughs> <laughs> the sad part is, you know, the, the paid party is, you know, the high price paid party is going to invite a particular type of clientele, which is going to be of higher status. Uh, when you have everything that's free, the people that show up to that party, you know, you can kind of expect some fights to break out, some arguments to break out. And you're going to deal with lower status people. And that's yeah. what happens with the Democratic Party. You get a lot of lower status people hanging out over there because they're handing out free beer. Uh, yeah. Whereas uh, in the Republican Party, now you're going to bring your own beer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's exactly why Oprah is so popular. You know, she was giving away free cars left and right and. You know, that's why everybody kept going there, going to her show. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, man. Um, so when it comes to the black community, it seems that there's a perpetual victimhood mentality. 
that is embraced to the point where it's the norm. And you know, I want to ask you, why do you think that the black community holds on to wanting to be the victim so much and throwing out terms such as we are where we are due to slavery or the system is set up for us to fail and systemic oppression and, or even, you know, it's the white man's fault or white people's fault. Why is there a lack of accountability in the black community? Because it's easy to blame your problems on other people. It's the reason why some people are successful and some people aren't. Some people just want to blame their circumstances and some people, you know, take their life by the horns and do what they got to do. Um, the other reason is it's uh, what I call a victim narcissism. And these people are just full of themselves and mm. they want to cry, cry, cry for sympathy so they can get attention from people. I think it's a really selfish way about going, going about things. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what it comes down to. These people are narcissistic. You know, they use um, what what happened to them in the past, the bad events that happened to them in the past to get retweets and likes and sympathy um, and to steal people's empathy uh, to push an agenda. Um, but it's it's that it's 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 the narcissism and the ease of not having to do. You know, that's been Hotep's thing from the very start. You know, it's about, um, you know, it's like, all right, fine. Like racism exists. Cool. Um, OK, cool. They they killed Tamir Rice and uh, they killed uh, Sean Garner and, you know, Zimmerman killed Trayvon Martin. Fine. Cool. You know, we can't stop these deaths. Right. And we're not going to stop these deaths through legislation. Um, so, so how do we, you know, what do we do? What's the solution? Cause complaining is not going to get it done. And, uh, you know, when we started providing solutions that, you know, came from an economic base, you know, we were met with, uh, hostility, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's how Hotep was born. Um, they were like, shut up, Hotep, shut up, Hotep. And it's just like, yo, I'm providing like real life solutions. <laughs> but my, you know, my take on all this is if you control your neighborhood, you don't have to worry about anything, you know? So, if uh, police brutality is a problem, then maybe you should just have your own police task force and then you won't have to worry about that. You know, hire your own police, um, you know, get your own mayor in office and control your own local politics. And then we won't have these issues. Um, but when I said that, you know, a lot of people were like, oh, you just want to be a part of the patriarchal system to control women's bodies and you know all that dumb stuff. But um, that that's my thing. You know, um, also, um, you know, when I was preaching. And I would say, hey, let's let's boycott the NFL. And then a lot of black men were like, yo, shut up, man. That sounds so stupid. Da, 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 da. Boycott the NFL. I'm watching them. I'm watching the games on Sunday. And I'm like, all right, well, maybe this isn't the best thing I should be saying online because people just aren't going to get that. But then when you fast forward, here they are kneeling with Colin Kaepernick. And I'm like, didn't I tell you this like four or five years ago? <laughs> but it's about it's about taking your attention away from other things and, and, and moving it back into your community. And I just felt like it was so predictable for black men to be sitting in front of a television on Sunday, all day Sunday, where I felt like if those same black men who didn't give their attention to the TV set every single Sunday on Sunday, took that same attention and put it towards the youth in their community every Sunday, every black man, um, we'd probably turn this thing around within, you know, a decade. Yeah. You know, one of the things uh, I kind of want to get your input on it, but one of the things I've noticed, like with different different uh, communities or ethnic groups or races, uh, other other groups of people focus on education. They focus on skill sets, you know, to not only better themselves, but, you know, for their future generations to come. And I know it's a lot within the black community is kind of looked down upon for like, 
one to educate yourself either through you know college or, or high school even uh having a skill set like it, it's kind of pushed or at least i know it was for me uh with my family in the neighborhood i lived in when i was in memphis before i came out here um was to focus on music or focus on sports and you know try to make it versus trying to get an education you know whatever you want to define as an education and getting ahead in life like why is it that it's so shunned like i i don't understand why education look is looked so down upon in the black community so yeah it's like if you if you're educated they call it white right <laughs> you acting yeah, white or a sellout or a coon i'm called that all the time <laughs> yeah. it's hard that's that's the bottom line it's hard man it's hard you know it's it's not easy self-educating you know i don't have a college education you know my parents got a college education. My sister's a doctor. My brother's a computer programmer. He graduated from NJIT. And, you know, I always felt like because I was surrounded by people with a college degree, I didn't need one. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I was making money since I was 16. You know, I was fixing computers and all of that. Um, and then by the time I entered college, I already had the skills I needed to make money, you know. Um, and I was making so much money at the age of 20 years old you know, selling mortgages, it just didn't make sense for me to go to college. But um, over the years, the internet has grown so much that, you know, you can get an education on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, and um, I've actually done that, you know. So for instance, like when we talk about search engine optimization, you know, um, you know, people will ask me, like, how do you get into that? And, you know, there's a guide in my book, books on (laughs) booksbybryant.com. Check it out, people. (laughs) Yeah, there's a guide in there, but it really came down to me spending over 20 hours actually just sorting through all the information on YouTube. And, you know, I'd watch a course. I'd spend like, you know, a whole literally a whole afternoon watching a course on SEO. I'm like, okay, cool. Now let me watch somebody else's course the next day to get some of the information the other person may have missed or maybe some counter arguments. And then, you know, reading the blogs. And then, you know, maybe buying a course here or there and then just filling in the gaps of, you know, what I would have learned. And then out of all of that, drawing my own conclusions and saying, nah, here's what SEO really means. <laughs> <You know? laughs> because these courses will sell you a dream. They'll sell you stuff that is may be the truth, but isn't really what makes the most impact for something like search engine optimization, mm-hmm. you know? So in my book, I tell you exactly really what makes a difference in search engine optimization and what's really going to help you, you know? So if you type in your search engine right now, why did the Kardashians date black men? Um, you know, I rank first for that search because this is a question I know people had on their mind and we get, you know, I think it's probably like maybe a hundred thousand clicks on that, on that right now um, or something like that. But it's just knowing what people want and getting it to them in a high quality form. Yeah. Um, but, you know, again, that came from me doing hours of self-study. And I think people are just, you know, they, they're just lazy. You know, they, they don't want to do the work. They don't want to educate themselves. But I spend um, most of my day just educating myself, you know, um, buying books, reading books and just learning from other people. So I might not have a college education, but. I put in the hours that, you know, people would put into a college. I put in probably double that. Yeah. I think people, when it comes to, to college, uh, 
And I also think that's the, the other way the left is indoctrinating generations right now is through college education. But I think college sells this false, false narrative that uh, you're going to go there, you're going to get this piece of paper, and then you're going to be set for life. It, it just doesn't work that way. Yeah, so I was, <laughs> I was working with a mobile app company, and um, they had a new girl just start. And um, we were having a conversation because I needed her to do some things. She was working underneath me. And I needed her to do some things. And then while I'm having a conversation, she just had like this blank look on her face. And I'm like, are you following what I'm saying? And she was too embarrassed to say that she couldn't follow along with what I was saying. She's like, no, I don't understand the thing you're saying. And I'm like, wow. So I asked her, I said, well, didn't you just graduate from college? She's like, yeah. I was like, what was your major? She's like, marketing. And I'm like, I'm using marketing terms. And she graduated from like, I think Brown or something like that. Like one of these top universities. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, wow, this girl just graduated from, from marketing has a degree in marketing. I'm using current marketing terms and I'm still speaking Greek to her. Like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> like this college education really isn't worth much to me. I think it's just more or less about um, college. The, the college diploma basically says this person knows how to meet deadlines. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's pretty much what it is. <clears throat> like, like um, I work in uh, it or, I'm not, it's kind of weird because my position in my job, I, I'm kind of IT, but I'm also information systems because I manage the system platform. Okay. But, um, you know, for me, I kind of fell into IT. Like, you know, my whole thing was marketing. Uh, when I went to college, I had no direction. I was going to do biology, then philosophy. Then I was flip-flopping all over the place. And, you know, around the time I was like 25 or so, I kind of, fell into IT because I was like, man, you know, I was working retail, I was working uh, for Microsoft. I was up in Seattle and I'm like, you know, I want to make money. Like, I don't want to make paycheck to paycheck. I want to make money. Yeah. So I'm like, what do I need to do? And then as a lot of these jobs, they were talking about how, you know, you got to got, you got to have so much years of experience. You got to have, uh, you know, this background or, or this degree. And so I, I remember going to, um, it's the name of that recruitment company, uh, t uh, Tech Systems. Mm -hmm. And I did an interview with them. I tell them, I said, look, you know, I don't have a background in IT. My background is in journalism, but I want to make sure that you know that I want this job. I don't know. I'm like, I'll study all the material necessary. Just give me the opportunity. I'll bust my ass. I'll make it happen. I was 25 when I started. I'm 29 now, you know, between my salary for my current uh, job, the stuff I do on YouTube, my sponsorships on my podcast and other stuff, I'm making over six figures and I'm 29. And so nice. I, tell, I tell people, I'm like, going to college is cool and all, but when you get out in the real world, you need a skill set. You yeah. need knowledge. And, and learning does not stop just because you got out of college or got out of high school. It's, it's a life journey. Yeah, it's funny because I started out in IT. You know, I was around uh, in the 80s with the Commodore 64 was the big computer. Yeah. So, you know, you had to code just to get a game to start, you know, mm -hmm. and then we moved on to DOS and then we moved on to Windows 3.0 and then Windows 95 was like this big, big breakthrough and Mac was trying to catch up or Macintosh at the time was trying to catch up. And then like right around 1996, uh, my pops comes home from Prudential. Uh, Prudential is this big law firm in uh, mm -hmm. Newark, New Jersey. And he comes home with his trunk full of computers and they're like broken or whatever. 
So he goes, look, you can um, fix up what you can fix up and we'll sell them for, um, you know, a hundred bucks a piece and I'll give you the money. So there's like 10 computers sitting in the living room. I had like one monitor, a couple of keyboards and a couple of mice. So um, and then they had instruction manuals. So, you know, you'd boot it up and you'd look at the error messages on the screen and then the error messages you'd look up in the manual and it'd tell you, Hey, the motherboard is shot or the video card is shot or whatever it was that was shot. So then I was just snatching parts from other computers and seeing what works. So, you know, out of the 10, I think I maybe got like maybe four or five functional computers working. So I made Mm -hmm. a quick 500 bucks, you know, with like a couple of days work. Um, So, you know, I was in the IT world and we've always had state of our computers, you know, we were burning CDs and, you know, 1997, um, CDs aren't even a thing anymore, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, we'd go to computer shows, um, and, and build a computer from scratch. So, you know, I'd know about how to build a computer from the motherboard to the video card, to the sound card, et cetera, et cetera. Um, hard drive, Ram, you know, all that. So then when I graduated from high school, I thought I wanted to be in IT because I was always around computers. So I ended up uh, going to this school and getting certified by Microsoft, which is called a Microsoft Certified Systems Engineer. And then um, I was like 20 years old and I was 19, I want to say 18, 19. I started working in the IT department at L'Oreal and uh, I got fired because I was writing raps on the job. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we in the middle of the office. I got my headphones in and I'm rapping and people are like, yo, who's the kid in the corner rapping in a cubicle? <laughs> <laughs> You know what I'm saying? But they, the boss basically came. He's like, yo, you don't want to do this stuff. Your heart isn't in this. You know, your heart is in something else. And that's when I was like, yeah, you're right. I'm not into this computer stuff, you know? So then I left computers alone, which was a great, you know, background for me because it's helped me now. But mm-hmm. um, IT is definitely a great place to be. And I'm glad I have that IT background because it helps me every single day. Yeah. I was going to talk about, like, um, when it comes to, like, uh, marketing and working with different companies and brands, because... You know, I'm I'm a relatively small YouTuber, but I've been blessed with the opportunity to work with, you know, especially in the gaming YouTube sector, like with like Sega, Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, like and I have bigger channels, like bigger gaming channels will reach out to me like, hey, how did you work with this this company? And I'm like networking, marketing, putting myself out there. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I was talking to Lucas about it. He's like, man, you're like the information broker. He's like, if, you, if anyone needs to know anything, any contact, they go to you. I'm like, well, you know, I just, I, I've always been the type to where if I want to do something, I go out and do it. I don't wait around for it. And I see a lot of smaller uh, YouTubers, both in tech, gaming, or whatever industry, and they're all waiting around, you know, oh, I got to get these, this amount of subscribers for this company to recognize me. No, you don't. You got to provide yourself as being valuable to these companies. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I spoke about that in my free book, which you got linked in the description. Um, But the truth is, if you make good content, it doesn't matter how many subscribers you have, because I remember just being in the marketing department of a of a company and um, just having, you know, a video with somebody talking about your product was a win for the marketing department. You know, we didn't care if it had a one view or a thousand views. If it was good content, it was good content. We'd find a way to promote it, you know? So don't feel discouraged if you don't have a lot of subscribers. Make the content, make the content good. And if the content's good, it's got great lighting, et cetera, then the companies will work with you, man. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
Um, I, I guess this is my last question I wanted to ask you because I know you're a busy guy. I know you got a busy schedule. I don't want to keep you too long. Appreciate that. Um, so my last question, um, it's kind of multifaceted, but what do you think the main issues are or do you think there is an actual system that is holding down black people that are that is potentially oppressing them? Do you think it's actually there or do you think it's like the boogeyman, it's a figment of their imagination? Is there systemic racism? I would say there is. I won't deny the existence of systemic racism. I mean, we see it in the World Cup, you know. Today, France won, right? So France is majority African people, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm joking around and I said Africa won the World Cup. But really, it's just a system of racism because what they did was they've depress these other nations, these France controlled nations so bad that they don't even have the infrastructure to support uh, a soccer team. So then they take all the best players from the African nations, give them, you know, dual citizenship or whatever, and uh, have them play for the team. Um, So I think there is some sort of system in place that does keep down African people. Um, The thing is that system is pretty weak. (laughs) (laughs) That system, um, to me, is almost non-existent. You know, I I think it's only there because um, there's no solidarity amongst African people. You know, we're divided. And anytime you have a people that are divided, you can conquer them. As you know, with the divide and conquer tactic, Mm -hmm. you know, I feel like African people um, have lost their footing in America uh, through integration, you know, uh, when we talk about systemic racism, I feel like that uh, integration was systemic racism. It was a system put in place knowing it would deteriorate the black community, knowing it would degrade the black economics. Um, when we look at the uh, when we look at the black codes, you know, that the Democrats set up in the South, um, that is a system of racism you know you had blacks and they want to say oh black people were picking cotton there were slaves picking cotton no black people were cotton owners they they owned farmland and what happened was the democrats post-slavery created these things called the black codes which made it illegal for you to be black and and own and own land so those systems were put in place uh hillary clinton and her husband um through mass incarceration um, have put systems in place. Uh, welfare is a system of systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when you destabilize our economy and take away our drive to want for more, um, when you um, say you want socialism or communism, I feel like these are systems of systemic racism because all they're going to do is is kill um, our drive and our capitalistic nature. So I think there are systems out there um, but I think that through education and solidarity, they can easily be overcome. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's uh, I, I I remember talking to someone, and it's uh, they're 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 also YouTube. I'm not going to name their name, but they they do uh, their daytime job is their teacher, and they they make it a point. They stated on Twitter and other outlets that they made a point to tell their black students that are in like fourth and fifth grade that 
because of the color of their skin, they're oppressed. They'll never be able to amount to what white students are able to do. And this, I, I think in a way that is indoctrination in the wrong way and they don't even realize it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. I hate teaching kids that I don't teach my kids that I teach my kids that you want to be your best because you just want to be your best period. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't say you want to be your best because you know, some system's going to hold you down or you got to be better than a white man. Nah, you got to be better because you're my son <laughs> you <know>? <laughs> <laughs> and, and I want to, I want you to just be your best period. And all these problems come tumbling down when you're the best, you know. Um, but I think I do think there's uh, systemic racism inside um, the public schools, uh, the liberal mm-hmm. public, the liberal controlled public schools do their best to hold back black kids, um, yeah. you know, with special ed. You know, I remember when I was a kid, you know, they they put me in special ed and then um, eighth grade came around. It was time to go to high school. And then, you know, they tested me. Right. So they just watch this. They tested me and I test on like uh, 11th grade reading level and 11th grade math or something like that. So I was you know, they took me out of special ed and I test way above my grade. So then I get to ninth grade and I check my schedule and they put me in all level four remedial classes. And I'm like, yo, I just tested hours. <laughs> <laughs> and y'all put me in all this back in remedial. So my parents had to go to the school and say, look, no, put him in higher level classes. But they just do that. It was an Italian run city. So they were mm-hmm. just doing that um, to move the resources towards, you know, the Italian kids. And they wanted to put the black kids in the lower classes. So there, there is stuff that happens at the local level. But um, without a shadow of a doubt, these are Democrat run <laughs> institutions. <laughs> I think I think it's amazing when you know people push the whole uh, white privilege thing, you know, this whole attack on white males and white people in general. Yeah. I, I I told one person I said, well, I, actually, I didn't tell him. I asked him. I said, what happens when they get to a point of uh, if they if they do get to dominate the white people the way they want to, who are they going to go after next? Because the next group of people I think they're going to go after would be the Asians. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You don't want no sauce with the Asians. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's what I tell people all the time. I'm like, you know, you might you might talk about racism amongst white people, but you ain't seen racism until you've seen Arab racism because Arab racism racism don't play no games. You know, that looks like 1642 still towards black people. You know, they got black slaves right now. They're trafficking black women right now. They practice slavery. I think slavery is the last nation in Africa to abolish slavery was sometime in the 90s. You know, I want to even say 2004 for maybe Mauritania. Uh, So this stuff is still happening as we speak. So when people are so concerned, white people, I'm like, ah, you don't want no sauce with these other races. Then (laughs) if you think white people are bad, you get your ass whooped messing with somebody else. (laughs) And it's like when they want to talk about how uh, America has a history of slavery and they they want reparations and then they want to be the same people to be lined up with like the Muslim uh, movement and the jihad and all that. And I'm like, y'all yeah. want to be teamed up with the people that are still enslaving us around the world? Like, really? Well, that's the, that's, that's, <laughs> that, it just comes back to the lack of education. They don't know. They don't know any better. If you don't know no better, you can't do better. Sure. That's true. Uh, I guess we, we move to the end, uh, just Q&A, and then we can wrap it up. Uh, uh, so I got a 
question from Virtual Bros. Uh, he wants to ask, uh, do you think the left is concerned more with equality of outcome or equality of opportunity? And can equality of opportunity be used as an excuse to take away our freedoms? Uh, that question is loaded. They're not worried about equality, period. What's the next question? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we got Mike Nificent. Um, he, uh, he had a question. He's like, uh, when will you have Mike Nificent on your channel? <laughs> <laughs> get magnificent on here man get him on here <laughs> um let's see we got another question from virtual bros he's like are left wingers more cons- well no that's the same question uh can our equality of opportunity be used to create a orwellian dystopia can equality of our to- of opportunity be used to create an orwellian dystopia I hate when people ask questions like that. It's like you're using all these words that like dumb down your questions, but I'm going to answer the question because I know what he's trying to say. But these educated cats, man. First of all, um, yes. Yes. That's exactly what's happening. They are trying to use equality to install uh, these Orwellian big brother uh, type society. Uh, you see it with the uh, body cams when we had, um, you know, black people dying, right? You had black people mm-hmm. dying and then DeRay gets up there. He's like, yo, we should body cam all the police officers. And I'm like, oh, really? Like an Orwellian society where everything's surveillance? <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, yeah, um, it definitely, absolutely, equality is going to be used for that. Um, I know, uh, I think you were speaking about this on your Twitter before about uh, how people need to shift away from Google. Uh, oh, Google. yeah. Yeah, DuckDuckGo. <laughs> use DuckDuckGo because the way Google works, they're uh, prioritizing the search and um, they're making updates all the time and um, it's getting more and more f- favoritism. Mm-hmm. Um, so beware. So, yeah, use DuckDuckGo. I think it's uh, a bit more organic. Of course, for some things, you know, you have to use Google. Like, if I want to see, like, my World Cup scores, I'll type in World Cup, and Google has everything nice, pretty, organized, you know. So, you know, for some things, we still use Google for for ease. You know, if it's a breaking story or something like that, Google's going to have everything sorted and organized properly. But if you're, like, doing research, I use DuckDuckGo. I get better results. Yeah. Have you – did you see that – that Google AI, I think they did a couple a reveal of it a couple couple months ago, but it it they had it call a store to make reservations or a restaurant to make reservations, and uh, you couldn't tell that was the AI. I think that's scary that we're getting to that point. Wait, what happened? Google, um, they have this AI that they're making. Uh, they did a demonstration at the Google I/O event a couple months mm-hmm. ago, or I think a month or so ago. Where it, uh, they had it call a restaurant live, and it did the reservations. It, it had every human characteristic you could think of. It, it did um, uh, all the pauses. You couldn't tell the person on the other end couldn't even tell it wasn't uh, wasn't human. And they had an, uh, it, it. That kind of technology kind of it, it makes well, me the average. Know. The average person working at a restaurant isn't that smart. So let's begin with. i worked at a rest i used to i used to work at a restaurant i worked at two restaurants in particular i worked at tgi fridays and i worked at olive garden 
And Me too. I had, <laughs> I, had a, I had managers at both say the same thing to me. They said, you don't belong here. Two managers, the same spot, at two different spots, said the same thing. You're way too smart. You don't belong here. See, those people in restaurants are pretty stupid. I can tell you that firsthand. That's why they're messing up your orders. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, AI, they're making AI pretty smart. It's pretty intelligent. It's not, you know, getting anywhere uh, scary yet to me. Um, you know, placing a reservation is actually rather simple from a programming standpoint. Um, there's only, you know, but a few responses you could get. Um, I think it's probably, uh, you know, much harder uh, for other tasks, but, you know, placing an order or something like that or making reservations probably isn't that hard. I think that's the whole reason why we got these smart homes and all this stuff that's always like listening to everything that we're saying just so it can learn in a way. Yes. Yes. It's all collecting data. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, one of my last questions was uh, who do you think, who, I know you spoke about this on Alex Jones show uh, about the people that are actually controlling the black media because they ain't black folks. Oh, shout out to the root just went out of business. <laughs> <laughs> Did they? Did they? Yeah, yeah, they just made an announcement. They begging Beyonce and Jay-Z to buy them out because <laughs> <laughs> um, Gizmodo Media is, um, I think they're going up for sale. Oh, uh, wow. and they're shutting down or something like that. And Gizmodo Media uh, is owned by Univision. So Univision is going to have a say-so on the properties that Gizmodo Media owns. And the root is one of the Gizmodo Media properties. Um, but yeah, you know, anytime you have a black voice that's controlled by something that's not black, you have to be careful. Um, and these black voices are being controlled by uh, things like Soros dollars and Planned Parenthood dollars and LGBT and women's rights organization dollars. These nonprofits are taking their monies and putting them behind particular journalists at these publications. So the information that we're getting is quite biased and has an agenda behind them. So um, I don't trust black media, you know, Ebony, Essence, The Root. Um, you know, if you look at Thomas Sowell, right? Thomas Sowell is one of the most notable, notable figures in economics, period, let alone being black. Yep. And, uh you know, when you take his name and you run it across these publications, Ebony, Essence, Black Enterprise Magazine and Root, et cetera, you see nothing about him. He doesn't have like an award. They don't applaud him. Anytime he's on there, it's mostly just like, oh, look at this coon, you know, look at this Uncle Tom, that yeah. type of stuff. But it's never like highlight Thomas Sowell, you know, great black mind. It's That's never been done before. All right. So uh, I asked the, the audience if they have any final set of questions. Somebody asked, what book has most influenced my current worldview? Um, I would have to say, Behold the Pale Horse. Good book. That's a really good book. <laughs> yeah. It's a little, uh, it's a little tinfoil hattish. <laughs> but, uh, It'll open your eyes. <laughs> uh, I guess if they're not going to ask the final question, I'll ask one. Uh, how was it uh, being able to meet up with uh, Brandon Tatum, uh, Candace Owens, Amazing Lucas, uh, Kevin or Kevin Corner, and the others at the Turning Point, uh, 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 the Black Influencers uh, Summit? How was that? Oh, it was surprisingly fun. 
you know, like I told them, you know, I expected to go there and be in a room full of people that I didn't like. And surprisingly, I liked majority of the people in that room, almost everyone, uh, with just a few exceptions. Um, Candace was a pleasant voice, a pleasant heart. Um, I enjoyed her. Um, I enjoyed um, uh, the Harrises. It's three Harrises. <laughs> <laughs> the Harrises, the Hayes brothers, uh, Mason Lucas. Um, you know, like James T. Harris, that's the OG. So James T. Harris came up to me and um, he was like, yo, my son loves you. Da, 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 da. And I, you know, I, dropped, I did a video drop for his son and everything. So knowing <laughs> that like an OG black conservative, you know, loves me is kind of like so fulfilling. I'm just like, wow, like you the OG to all of this. And, and he's looking at me like I'm somebody, you know, so that felt great. But, you know, just being in a room of of great minds you know, all black conservatives, which, you know, for some time I thought just didn't exist, was great and fulfilling and just felt good, man. You know, you like you're in a room full of people and you can have a conversation and the conversations were just great, both inside the meeting room and outside the meeting room at dinner and wherever, you know, it's just really great conversations with people that are on the same page as you and you could just build with, you know, and I learned a lot from those guys as well, too, you know, whether it's from business or politics, um, but, you know, at the networking aspect you know, it's just a great networking opportunity, period. Yeah. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, Candace has a uh, project she's dropping within about six weeks. It's pretty top secret. We're not allowed to say anything. Uh, otherwise, she'll shoot us. It's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, nah, it's pretty top secret. And uh, I think we're about six weeks out, maybe five weeks, including this one, um, before she releases it. But, you know, look out for that. It's going to be a really, really huge impact. Awesome, man. I'd love to have her on the show. I have no way of, uh, I don't know how to contact her because I know she gets so much stuff on Twitter. I Go, probably through text. Go through Brandon. Oh, I should text him about that. <laughs> yeah, go through Brandon. All right, man. That's that's just about um, that's all the questions I have, man. It was an honor. Oh, wait. Magnificent. Why you wait till now to say something? All right. So, Magnificent, final question goes to you. Do you he asks, uh, do you think we can flip the black? Hell no. Um, the good news, though, is that we don't need to flip the black vote. As it was told to me by Charlie Kirk, you know, we only need 4% of the Democrats, Democratic black votes to come over to the red side. And that would equal an 8% swing because they lose 4% and we gain 4%. So we don't need the whole black vote to flip. We just need 4% to leave the Democrats and come over to the Republicans. And I think that's definitely doable. Hmm. All right, all right, man. That that just about wraps up everything I got, man. Why don't you go ahead, uh, tell everyone where they can find you, plug your book, and everything that they need to know. Um, what's some projects you got coming up? Yeah, so shout out to uh, Doe Dupes, uh, Lola and Doe Soaps. That's a Hotep company. He's uh, the president of Hotep Nation. You can visit our website at hotepnation.com. Uh, Hotep's been told you every Thursday at 8 p.m on my YouTube channel, just type in Hotep's Ben Told You. Uh, and that's with um, my friend, my buddy, um, my, my co-host, Uncle Hotep. So you guys can check that out. We stream live 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Thursday. Uh, of course, get my books at booksbybrian.com. Uh, go get your Hotep gear at hotepnation.com slash shop. And uh, if you want to donate, all we're asking for is a dollar a month. And that's at patreon.com slash hotepnation. 
That's what's up, man. Man, and actually, uh, Uncle Heltep, he came through on the he, – he was in the chat for a little bit. He came through. Oh, dope. That's what's that's up. A- Uncle Heltep, what up? <laughs> man, that's a that's a huge honor for me too, man, because I'm a fan of his as well. I'd love to get him on the channel someday on the yeah, podcast. <laughs> All right, guys, uh, and that just about wraps up this podcast. Again, I want to thank Hotep Jesus again. It's a, a, a massive honor having you on the podcast, my man. Uh, thank you for coming through. Uh, make sure you guys, all the links to his stuff will be down in the description below. So make sure you come through and you follow him. We'll definitely give the man a follow on Twitter and uh, go be there for his podcast as well. And with that being said, this podcast will be available on iTunes, Google Play Music, uh, TuneIn Radio and Stitcher. Within the next two hours, they'll be up, so it'll be there for your listening pleasure. And I want to thank you all for coming through. We'll catch you on the next one. Make sure you like, share, comment, subscribe, and make this go viral. And that being said, Hawaii's favorite YouTuber signing out with the one and only Hotep Jesus. <laughs>